we're, I guess we're continuing a series. We started a series uh, on Christmas. We read from the um, Gospel according to Luke. But just a, an FYI, every year um, since I th- 20, 2014, we've, gone, we've started in a gospel. Um, and we've gone, at the beginning of the year, we've started in the gospel, and we've gone through Easter and, um, and maybe a week after that in a particular gospel. So this is our second time through uh, the gospel according to Luke, at least in my tenure here. And the reason we do that is um, it is a good reminder to know the story of Jesus. And I think not just the same gospel every year, but there's four of them. There's four different takes on the life of Jesus. And some people, they, they get kind of caught up in it. They're like, well, they don't go in the same order all the time. And, and if you think about it, if you witnessed, if you and your kids and some friends of yours were standing on a street corner, let's just say it happened at one of the parades downtown Zealand, and something happened, someone fell off a fire truck, or someone threw candy to the crowd, and it hit someone in the head, and they went down, and they chipped their teeth, or something awful like that. If you were telling the story of what you saw, if you were paying witness or giving witness to what you saw, the way you, they're all, they would all be factual. They would all tell the story, but you might tell it in a different order because you were looking at a different, in a different spot when something happened over here, you heard someone move over here, that kind of thing. So we all, if you saw a car accident, you and other people, if you're in it, you're going to see it differently than if you're a spectator and you're going to see it differently than if you're the car behind the one that got an accident, or if you were one that just missed, you're going you're gonna to tell the story a little bit differently. And that's why when, when there is something where we need eyewitness accounts, that people get lots of different eyewitness accounts, not just one. So each of the gospel tellers, each, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all it's not that they take liberty. They're trying to figure out what is it that my audience needs to hear and how do I make it as clear as possible? For example, in the gospel according to John, John, his gospel doesn't look anything like the other four. I mean, the, the, what Jesus says and who Jesus is, yes. But he crafts it in such a way because John is talking to uh, Hebrew people and he wants them to identify the life of Jesus with the life of the Hebrew people that thus far in history. So in John, you only see seven miracles. They're called the seven signs. And each of those miracles connects with a major event in the life of God's interaction with the the Hebrew people. So John isn't worried about chronology. He's not worried about things in order. He's trying to make sure that he shows how the gospel communicates and completes the story of God with his people. Luke has his own take. And what's beautiful about the gospel according to Luke, Luke in particular, is that Luke was not a Hebrew. He was not a Jew. Luke was a man who, um, who came to Christ. He, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He came to Christ after Jesus had died and was resurrected and ascended to the Father. So when the apostles were going around and planting churches and communicating the gospel, somewhere in that mix, Luke heard the gospel presented. So Luke had his Greek and uh, not a Hebrew, but now he's learned um, from being discipled by a or more than one of the apostles, he's learned more and more about how Jesus, his showing up in his life, how it completes the story that God has been trying to tell creation from the first day. 
So there's some wonderful things in the gospel according to Luke. And a couple of them, a little background I'm going to give you in just a second. But I want you to, I want you to, the title of the sermon today is more of the story. But I'm going to ask you, just like I did last year when we were in a different gospel and the year before, I'm going to ask you, you're very familiar with a lot of these stories. And you can become so familiar with a story that, that it loses its bite or it loses its soul. So here's an example. Uh, Luke does something different in the parable of the seeds, the seed and the sower. You've, you've heard that, you know, the, the, the sower throws the seed out and some lands on fertile soil, other, others lands on rocky soil, others ran, uh, lands, but then the thistles grow up around it. And so let's say you get an email from um, about the bulletin the week before we do the parable of the sower and the seeds. And you go, I know, I know that, you know, I know what they're going to say. And you may, I mean, we're not going to tell you something that, that what you thought of it was wrong, but the thing about Luke in that particular uh, parable is he, that what he says about the thistles and the thorns that grow up and choke out the faith that's growing, he says something different about that than anybody else. He articulates something that actually speaks more to me than the other two gospels that talk about that. So Luke has a take because he didn't grow up in the faith. He grew up as, some, as, a, as a worshiper of many gods. And now he understands that there's only one God and there's one God made flesh and that's Jesus. So here's some things that Luke is really good at. He's very detail oriented. He, 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 he doesn't, everything is with purpose. So here's, here's something you may not know. I just learned it recently, and I just think it's phenomenal. Um, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Now, we know it's the city of David. He comes from the line of David. I mean, the gospel accounts make that pretty clear. And, uh, and, and yes, God had to orchestrate history and move in the heart of Caesar to call a census at that time so that Jesus could be birthed in Bethlehem, the city of David. But Here's what I didn't know, and I think is just phenomenal. And Luke, Luke places it, and he's so careful to make sure that we see it. Number one, we can find out when Jesus was born. By the way, it wasn't December 25. I mean, there, there's a history. There's two philosophies. This is completely aside, but it's kind of cool. Two philosophies on how, how, how that date came around. One of them, I think it has the most credibility, is the Hebrew or the Jewish tradition is that you die on the day you were conceived. And so we know when Jesus died because it was Passover, right? So we, we know that. And so if you fast forward nine months, that's the date that you would have been born if you were conceived on the day you die. So that's how they come up, came up with what we call Christmas. But we know that Jesus was born in the spring because of this. The shepherds were in the field watching their flocks at night. Lambs, only, lambs are only lambed one time a year in the spring. It's not like humans, okay? Most deer hunters, you understand that, that most does are impregnated at a particular time of the year, right? Right? That's when you go hunting because the, the, the bucks get a little crazy, okay? So lambs are only birthed in the spring. And so the reason the shepherds were out watching their flocks at night is because if, if, if one of the sheep went into labor, they wanted to be there to make sure the lamb that was born was born well. And the other thing that you may not have known that I just learned recently that I think is really cool is that the only sheep, the only lambs, the only sheep that were raised in Bethlehem, and we know a place, this place called Shepherd's Field that I've seen it. It's really cool. But the only ones that were allowed to be raised in Bethlehem were sheep that were being lambed and raised to be slaughtered at the temple for sacrifice. 
Everyone else that raised their own sheep for their own, for, you know, for their own well-being and for their families, they raised them everywhere else. But Bethlehem was set aside as the place where lambs were birthed and raised to be sacrificed at the temple. And so that Jesus, being the lamb who would be slain and the redeemer of all of us, had to be born in Bethlehem, not just because it's the city of David, but because it was a city of David and David was a shepherd, this spot was the place where, where, and David was the one who wanted to see this big temple. This is the place where the sheep and the lambs that were going to be slaughtered at the temple for the forgiveness of sins, they had to be born in Bethlehem. So Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem because one day, God was going to have him be sacrificed for all of us. And you'll see in the gospel, according to Luke, this is background. We'll get to John the baptizer here in a second. And I know, I know that we're good. I know we have communion. We're good. The, you'll see when it comes to Passover on Palm Sunday. So this is a foreshadowing of what's to come. But on Palm Sunday... In Luke, he makes it very clear that Jesus, when he comes, comes in on what we call Palm Sunday, that is the day that for the Passover, that the priests selected the Passover lamb that would be sacrificed for the sins of God's people. So Jesus comes in and, you know, the, the Hosanna in the highest, all that stuff. He's riding in on the day that, that the lamb is selected, a day that the lamb is seized, a day that the lamb is taken into someone's home to be offered for their own sacrifice, for the, for the, to be sacrificed for their own sins. Luke is very meticulous about making sure, not that we all know that, but that if we, if we are willing to do our research, that we will see that he was careful to make sure all of that's there. One other piece of background that has to do specifically with our story today is that no lamb could be offered as sacrifice at the temple without a priest anointing it. Laying his hands on it, choosing it, and okaying it. And Jesus, when he's baptized by John the baptizer, you may not know this. You know that, 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 that John the baptizer's um, dad was a priest, Zacharias. He was in the Holy of Holies when God told him that he was going to have this child. But not only is, is, does John come from the priestly line, from his dad, but his mom was a member of the priestly line as well. So John, when God called him as Elijah to be one out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the lamb, God made sure that John had a priestly line. He orchestrated history. All the marriages and all the, the dating and all those things that had happened for the last several hundred years had to all work out that John was the one that God called, that he was of the priestly class, and that there was a moment when he anointed by baptizing Jesus. Jesus didn't need baptism he, for the repentance of sins. He, he hadn't sinned. But it was a way that God said, even, even this lamb, the one that's going to that's gonna redeem all of humanity, he too will fulfill the traditions that God has set up by being anointed by a member of the priestly class. Let's read about John the baptizer, and it goes into the, to the ministry of Jesus. In the 15th year, this is, this is uh, Luke establishing this point in history. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, which sounds like a disease, um, doesn't it? Okay. And this one too, Trachonitis. Sounds like some kind of an infection. Um, sorry, I just don't have, hard word. Um, and Licinius, uh, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas 
and Caiaphas, the word of, the, of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain hill made low, crooked roads shall become straight, and rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. This has been God's plan since Adam and Eve chose their will and not God's. God knew that he was orchestrating history to come to this watershed point for all of history. That one man in his life is going to change everything. Even this little thing that we hardly even notice. It says that the word of the Lord came upon or came to John. See, we hear that in Old Testament, about Old, in Old Testament prophecies that, that a prophet and the word of the Lord came to, the word of the Lord came to, the word of the Lord came to. Those, that's how God calls a prophet. And the word, the Holy Spirit of God had to come and, 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 and speak to them because the Holy Spirit of God didn't live within us. He lived in the temple or he lived outside of us and he would have to come and call and he would call someone and say, I want you to say this thing to these people at this time. Usually it's a way of calling people to repentance. He, God is saying, I, I don't like what's going on and it's going to get ugly unless you do this. And you'll see some of that right here in John. John is a prophet and his job is to fulfill the prophecies that God has given in the past about the coming of Jesus and to prepare the way for the one who would become the way. And so this is kind of what John did. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Great way to start a sermon. You, and I'll say it kind of loudly because he was kind of a, he was known for being a strange man. Um, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? Asked the crowd, the crowd asked. And John answered, the man who has two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors, and we all know the background of the tax collectors at that time. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to collect. And some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money. And don't accuse people falsely. And be content with what you're paid. And the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ, the anointed, the predicted one, the anointed one, the one who would be the redeemer of Israel. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat unto his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. Now I'm going to pause just for a second. I'm guessing that most of you are aware of winnowing and the winnowing for the threshing, how you do things on a threshing floor. You bring in the wheat, you put it on the ground. People, this is where my last name comes from. Walkers are threshers of wheat. We have flat feet. 
and I have 112 and 110 and a half. Doesn't make any sense. But our job was to, our, our family was to stomp on wheat. And then what that does, it cracks open the shell, the chaff from the kernel. And then they take a winnowing fork, they pick it up, and it's almost always out in the open. They'll throw it up in the air, and the wind will push the chaff away almost always in a certain direction. It'll all pile up. And what do you do? The kernels fall to the ground. That's the stuff you're going to make, make dough and you know, flour and all that kind of stuff out of. But the chaff is the leftovers and you just burn it up. So John is saying that the one that's going to come after him is going to separate sheep from, sheep from goats. He's going to separate wheat from chaff. He's going to, he's, he's going to, it's going to be the watershed point of all of history. Everything is going to change because of who's coming after John. And John got himself in trouble. This is something unique to Luke. Luke, Luke has John speak. And then he tells us right here that he, he goes into prison because he took on, he spoke truth to power. Um, he took on Herod and he was thrown into prison. Now, other gospels, when they talk about John the baptizer, we, he kind of shows up a couple of times during, during, the, during the gospel. But here, Luke is just trying to say, John has done his job. He's going to anoint Jesus. And then we're not going to hear much from John anymore. And so he tells us, and this doesn't happen until after Jesus' ministry gets going, but he, he, he finds himself in prison. When John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, use your imagination, uh, and the other evil things that he had done, Herod added this to them all, all the other evil things. He locked John up in prison. So John, in Luke, is a man who is ordained by God to prepare people to hear from God himself. The word of the Lord comes to John. John speaks whatever God told him to say to the people, and he's calling them to repentance. He's preparing their hearts to realize that, that something needs to change, that what's going on with person to person, God is not happy with. What's going on in the government, God is not happy with. What's going on in the temple sacrifice and the temple uh, worship, is not, God is not happy with. God, is not ha God did not, Jesus did not show up because things were going well. He showed up because everything had come to a point for such a time as this that if there was ever a time when we needed a savior, it's at this moment in history. And Luke is setting us up to hear from God himself. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And, the voice from, and a voice came from heaven you're my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus, Jesus himself was about 30, 30 years old when, it, when he began his ministry. There's something, we, we talked about how he needed to be anointed by a priest. Jesus did not need the baptism, but at the same time, he submitted to it because it was a way of saying to John, John, the one you've been waiting for, I'm here. Now, we don't know, at least according to Luke, if everybody heard what God said, but it's recorded. And Jesus, right after this, heads off to, to, to be tempted. So whether everyone could understand everything that God said, but I want you to see that God didn't say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He said, you are my son. I love you and I'm very pleased with you. 
This is, Jesus didn't become God's son at that moment. He had been, we, knew, we know this from the, from the story in Luke itself. When the angel shows up and talks to Mary that the, the Holy Spirit of God will come upon you and you will give birth to a son. You will call him Jesus and he's going to be the savior of the world. Um, when Jesus was in the temple when he was 12 or 13 years old and, and his parents took off for a couple of days forgetting him. Not great parenting. Um, and they come back and they, well, we wonder where you were. We were so worried. He says, well, where else would I be but in my father's house? It, this is God's way of saying that at, from this point forward, your life, Jesus, changes. And I, and I encourage you to read when you get home today. I, I usually turn on something like um, how it's made on the television on Sunday afternoons because it's just boring and I can sleep. But today, with whatever uh, your favorite sports team is, is, are there sports going on still? Okay, I don't watch any sports, except for fishing. It's good to sleep too, also. Um, but, you know, when you're a little bored, or when, you know, it's a runaway game, or whatever it is, um, open your Bible, or that new Bible app, read scripture, plug. Um, <laughs> flip through and get into Luke, and you'll see this genealogy. It's kind of, a lot of us, read, yeah, 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 so-and-so, 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 so-and-so. But if you look at Luke, what he's doing is different than the other place where we find a genealogy in a gospel. The other place where we find a genealogy in the gospel, they take us back, they take Jesus' lineage back to Abraham, the father of Judaism. But here, he takes him all the way back to Adam. All of us can trace our roots to Adam, but Luke wants to make sure, not just to the Hebrew people, but to the Greeks and those that follow other religions, he's saying that this man represents all humanity. Not just the Jews, but everyone. This has been God's plan from the beginning. And I'm not taking away from Jesus' divinity. He is fully divine, but he is fully human. And what Adam messed up, Adam was tempted. He, he, a few rules Adam had when, when God made him. Walk with me, talk with me, love me, know me. Name the animals, name the plants. Don't eat from that. And Adam chose, he was tempted by the evil one, and he chose my will, not yours. That is what Jesus is coming to fix. All of humanity's problems, all of them, are from Adam. And everything that's going to be redeemed, everything that's going to be bought back by God, everything that's going to change in the world is going to happen through one man. Jesus, who did not need to be baptized for the repentance of sins, but needed to be anointed by a priestly class so that he could be the lamb that is slain for all of us. And a lamb being slain on behalf of a human is a temporary fix, but to have this offering, this one time for all, for all past, all present, and all future has to be paid by a man. So a man has to become the lamb. So Jesus is fully human. It says in John that the word became flesh. The word there in Greek is sarks. And it's everything that humanity is. And I want you to know that Luke will be very clear, and so will we, that if it was not assumed, it is not redeemed. So if Jesus didn't become fully human while retaining his nature of being fully God, if he did not become fully human, we're doomed so if he did not become everything that we are, then everything that we are isn't redeemed. So Luke always has more to the story. 
And I encourage you, I truly encourage you to, to read and to look and to ask questions because Luke, and, and to read some of these stories that you've heard that you're familiar with, like the Sermon on the Mount in Luke is a little bit different. It's more paraphrased than it is in Matthew. But Luke has a purpose in that. So Luke, here's the story that everybody knows. Here's something that Luke wants us to, to, to learn. But even under that, there's something about God that God wants us to know. Not just the person of Jesus, but God's plan, God's desire. The fact that God has orchestrated all of history to bring us to this point where everything changes is absolutely unthinkably intricate. And the fact that you are sitting here today, you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. All the different things that had to happen for generations and generations and generations, that you would be born of the parents that you're born of, that you would marry the person you're married to if you're married, and that you would be in the spot where you heard the gospel and responded to it by saying, yes, Lord. If you think thousands of years, everything had to work perfectly for you to come to that spot, for such a time as that is what the gospel is about. The gospel is showing us that God has been so intricate in his planning that everything he promised, even the little things he makes sure take place so that when you have your opportunity, everything about you that needs to be redeemed can be redeemed. Because God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy. And yes, John's sermon starts off with, you brood of vipers. Judgment is coming. He talks about the winnowing fork. It's going to get ugly, folks, because God is not pleased. But every time, almost every time that God brings judgment, he brings it with an option for mercy. This is going to get ugly, folks. It's going to go bad for you. Unless, unless you stop, you confess, you repent, and you turn your will back to me. He wants, to be restored. he wants us to be restored back to the way Adam was before he fell when we live our lives in such a way that says, not my will, but yours be done. And that is why it's recorded that Jesus says, Father, take this cup from me, but not what I want, what you want. Because it is what Adam and Eve did not do that Jesus needs to do, even in the most extraordinary and excruciating of circumstances. God loves you so much that he has been planning for thousands of years for you to be sitting here today knowing who he is, loving him, and knowing you're loved by him. You're going to receive communion in just a few moments. And that is something that God has orchestrated to remind us that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul and life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So as you take the bread and as you drink from the tiny little cup, understand that God instituted this ordinance, this, this sacrament to remind us of everything that he's told us, to remind us that you belong to another and that that other's will is more gracious, more merciful, more wise, and more all-encompassing than yours. And that that will has been working throughout all of human history to bring you to this moment so that you can be reminded of and partake of the grace that God offers. And grace, simply put, is getting what you, do, or getting what you don't deserve, what you haven't earned. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Prophecy is speaking the word of God to a particular people at a particular time to tell them a particular thing. Prophecy is almost always a call to repentance, and that is exactly what God does every time we take communion. Remember, folks, remember what Jesus did. Remember 
who Jesus is. Remember whose you are. You see, even in something as simple of bread and juice, there's always more to the story. So join us in the Gospel of Luke. Join God in communion and hear the more of the story. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you. We thank you for, for Luke, for his authorship, for, his, for all of those that discipled him, for all of the ways that he learned so much and he's so careful and he's so methodical and he shows us so much. Lord, I pray that the preachers, as we walk through this gospel, that you give us wisdom to see not only the story on the surface, but what Luke is trying to communicate and what we can learn more, how we can learn more about who God is and how much he loves us. Help us communicate to your people what you want them to hear. And Lord, as we, as we prepare our hearts for this means by which you give us grace, I pray that you soften them so that we can receive it in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you stand for God's uh, blessing, just two quick things. One, we haven't updated you on Gospel Community Church, our church plant, uh, in a while. Um, They've hired someone for children and family, which we're really excited about. They're still looking for a worship leader, like we have Kurt for this service. Um, so they're asking for prayers there. And the Gazeldehyde uh, Center, where they where they meet, it's not big enough, um, which is a good sign. It's a good thing. But uh, since July, they've been in every vacant uh, building. Uh, to look for it, you know, to look at some, some might work on the north side of Holland, that side of 31, uh, that's come up. They have two commercial real estate agents helping them. Uh, nothing's fit yet. So they need space. They need some flexibility. We're hoping for free. That would be ideal, but we're willing to pay. Um, but just so you know what's going on there. And the other thing is uh, we talked since uh, November about the finances, how to end the year the same way we began the year. Just We don't have a solid number for you yet because there's, um, like there's a mission trip when the Zika virus was out to Dominican Republic, we've been carrying that loss. We're going to zero that out because we brought in enough money to cover our expenses and then some more. When we can, when we can tell you how much the pile of dirt, after we filled the hole back in, how big the pile of dirt is, we'll tell you. But we'd probably be uh, end of the month before we can figure all that out because of December bills and all that stuff that are still coming in. But we did finish it. God did something great providing for us through your uh, you're saying yes to the Lord. So we want to thank, uh, on behalf of the leadership, I'd like to say thank you for making it so we can continue in the ministries that God has called us to do with the current staff and the current missions that we do right now. So bless you for that. Would you please rise and receive God's blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. God, the God of the universe, the creator of all, smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.